Thank you for standing and worshiping with me. You may be seated. And uh, I'm thankful that you are uh, here today on this, this Father's Day. And according to several accounts that you can read, the first Father's Day uh, came about when a woman named Sonora Smart Dodd was listening to a Mother's Day sermon and thought that dads deserved kind of the, kind of the same thing. And I don't know if you notice, like a lot of times, you know, Mother's Day is so built up, right, uh, in our world. Uh, but she thought, you know what, this is important too for dads. And her dad, he was a Civil War survivor. He raised six children on his own after his wife had died. And so Dad's Day is kind of what it was originally called, was on June 5th. And the which was the anniversary of her dad's death, but was of course later moved to the third Sunday in June, and uh, it of course is uh, what we celebrate. And we all have important dates in our life, do we not? Uh, my my wife and I were uh, we've we kind of enjoyed a pre-anniversary trip to Europe, and we told y'all how much we missed you, and we really did. We, uh, we got to fellowship with this French congregation uh, in Paris that was just amazing. God brought it, just, uh, just brought tears to our eyes as brothers and sisters in Christ. We didn't understand anything they said, but you could sense the Spirit was there. And we sang one song that we understood, and it was Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me. They sang in French, we sang in English, and just wept through it. Uh, but there's no place like home. And uh, Pastor Cashman kind of teased me last week of, you know, taking like five or so minutes to, you know, preach a little bit. It had been weeks, right, since I had, the, since I had that opportunity. And, but we all have these special dates, and we're going to celebrate, you know, 20 years literally uh, uh, this week. Her birthday, Sarah's birthday, is etched, of course, in my mind, and my kids' birthdays, and so on and so forth. But Father's Day... Father's Day is one of those dates, isn't it? It's on our calendar, but it's more than just on our calendar. And I have the privilege today of having two of my heroes here, uh, my mom, uh, as well as my dad. And I got to thinking that my, my spiritual heritage, which, by the way, would include Redwood and include anything that God is doing, he gets all the glory, anything that God is doing here, started with the courage of my father in 1992. I, don't re- I won't say the date or the age. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but our family's spiritual heritage started with my dad, who had been given an invitation to Lancaster Baptist Church in Southern California. And I think it had, you know, it kind of stayed in a junk drawer for maybe, you know, a few weeks or whatnot. And then he said, Sue, that's my mom's name. Sue, get ready this morning. We're going to church, and that was May 2nd, I believe, 1992, and that was the, the, the birth, the beginning. Uh, my parents trusted Christ a few weeks later, but 1992, in May, the spiritual heritage of the Johnson family, I got to see my brother yesterday. We had a family memorial over in Brentwood uh, yesterday, and so my brother flew in, had to fly out early this morning because of his schedule, but it was so good to see him. But our heritage started with a man's courage to go to a church service and for the most part had, um, was learning from a younger man to say, hey, you know what, you're a sinner and you're in need of rescue and you're going to hell. And think of being a grown man who's fought in Vietnam, being told, you know, hey, you're going to hell, buddy. And yet the courage to, uh, to lead our family in the faith. And so, Dad, thank you. Uh, our family's not the same because of it. 
And we've been blessed to now be in the ministry and to be a vessel that brings about other spiritual families. And I heard Ed's story yesterday. Ed's going to share this story of his dad someday in this church. It was such an encouragement and blessing to me. 80 years old, trusting Christ. That's unheard of when you look at the statistics. And so dates, they're, they're important. But I believe the reason that Father's Day is not as big or promoted as much as Mother's Day is because the struggle that our society has with fatherhood. The statistics are alarming at how many children are growing up in fatherless homes. So being a father, or really a parent for that matter, is not an easy task. And I believe each of us would admit that we failed at times. So my sermon today on Father's Day is one of encouragement. I've entitled it Encouragement for the Struggle. Have you ever struggled? So this is really going to, honestly, it's going to apply to all. But, you know, us as dads, sometimes we look back and we look, we look at maybe our record and we're thinking, ah, it's not always great. And so my prayer is that it would spur each of us as a Christian dad, we're going to get to that by the end of the message on how important that is, or really any parent or really any individual to stay in the fight. Our text this morning is going to be a familiar one. It's going to be Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. The words will be up on the screen, but if you'd like to turn there. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. A few months ago, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine. And we were on the phone. I could kind of just sense there was a little bit of kind of struggle going on in his life and in his ministry. And I, and I said to him, for those who are in Christ Jesus now, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not, not next year, but now, this individual, there is no condemnation. And they told me, they said, Ryan, thank you for that. Ryan, I, I needed to hear that. It truly is the best news that a Christian can hear. Now, the best news is, is that Jesus Christ saves. And so if you're not a Christian, that's the news that you need to hear. And my prayer is that you will understand that today. But for the Christian, there's no greater news than to hear that there is now, therefore, no condemnation. But it's not always easy to believe. Hence why I'm preaching that this morning. Often we make the mistake of thinking that the gospel is simply what we believe in order to be saved. We hear it, we believe it, and we are born again. And that is absolutely true. No ifs, ands, or buts. We hear it, we believe it, and then we accept it, of course, and we are born again. Though we would not say it this way, we often act like the gospel has no further relevance for us. Again, we wouldn't say that, but we have this kind of thought process of, you know, it gets us in the door, but it's not kind of part of our everyday life. We just, we just leave the truths of the gospel on the side and we just get busy working for God. We just get busy just kind of doing, doing, doing. And so we've got to be careful not to do that. Every day, you have to reset your soul to embrace, to believe, to, 
to live on the sustenance and to rejoice in all that Jesus Christ has done for you. Milton Vincent puts it this way, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Tell yourself who you are in Christ. Tell yourself what Christ has done for you on the cross. Tell yourself how he is with you right now. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, but you gotta preach the apologetic that Mike so beautifully led us in today in these rich doctrinal truths of you say who I am. I don't always feel this way, but you, you, you understand who God has preached that to yourself, that your life is in the Redeemer's hands. Make sure the gospel, hear me, the gospel is what you're preaching to yourself and not the law. See, some of us have the habit of preaching the law to ourselves every day. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to drain the life out of your soul. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that the letter or that the law, that it kills, but it's the spirit that gives life. And so allow me to preach, in a sense, the gospel again to you this morning. Christians sometimes talk about spiritual disciplines, Disciplines like reading your Bible and praying and fasting, and those are, those are beautiful things. But we should also, if you'll allow me to say this, put this discipline, the discipline to preach the realities of the gospel and what Christ has done for you, it needs to be up there, kind of at the top of the list there, with, with reading the word and praying. It needs to be a discipline in your life. Because here's why. The Christian life is a life of faith. And faith lays hold of all that Christ has accomplished on the cross. So it can kind of nourish this faith. It can, it can provoke this faith. It can allow our faith to grow stronger so we become more of a healthy Christian. But this question might come to mind. It certainly came to mind as I was studying, preparing for this. How can we feel that there is no condemnation when we, when we are continually told that God tests us. And we might respond to that, I always feel that I have failed his tests. And I live under this feeling that I am a constant disappointment to God. That's going to be up there for a while. You can write it. You can take a picture. All right, Ryan, so you're telling me there's no condemnation, and yet I know that we're tested, right? We're, we're constantly uh, tested, whether that's by the, by, by the Lord, Lord himself doing it or allowing it in maybe some evil form, right? So whether we're being tested, then we say, well, I always feel that I fail as tests and I live under this feeling that I'm a constant disappointment to God. I know we've all felt that at some time or another. So let me kind of just break that down for you a moment. I am constantly being tested. True. That's true. So if you say that, hey, hey, I'm constantly being tested. Absolutely, I affirm that. I always feel that I have failed his tests. Now you may feel that way, but it's actually not true. You've actually passed many of them, probably more than you think, but it's natural for us to focus on how we fail. So if you get a report card, think if, for us that have been out of school for a long time, remember the report card years? And think of if you got maybe six A's and one D minus. Which one are you going to be consumed with? That D minus. 
I mean, that, we, we, we tend to get consumed with our, with our failures. So I always feel that I'm, that I'm tested. That's true. I'm always failing those tests. Not true. And then I'm constantly a disappointment to God. Not true. That cannot be true if Romans 8.1 is true. It's impossible. What you probably mean is that you are disappointment to yourself because you've not lived up to your own high standards and your life is not what you thought that it would be at this point. I understand that. But we need to be able to differentiate between the two. This is disappointment with ourself. This is, in a sense, self-condemnation because we're not where we wanted to be in this stage of our life or we've not attained this or whatever the case is. And so, so how, do we, how do we fit all of this together then? Well, first of all, we have to accept that what God says about us is true. That's where we start. We got to believe that what God says about us is true. If he says not condemned, then we are truly not condemned. That means nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It says that much later in Romans chapter number eight. Not even our own foolish and repeated mistakes. Okay, so we've got to, we have to accept what God says about us is true. Let me say secondly, God's tests are not meant to destroy us, but to reveal our weakness so that we will learn to trust him more. So we've got to believe what he says, and then we've got to understand that these tests are going to come our way to show us our weaknesses so we can lean in and we can begin to trust him more. In God's economy, failure, in a sense, if you'll allow it, is often a backdoor to success. Let me say thirdly, we're not the best judges of where we stand spiritually, meaning we personally are often not the best judge. On our good days, we're not as hot as we think we are. And on our bad days, you're not as yucky as you think you are. Because we're really often not the best kind of litmus test on ourselves. So we should give up trying to rate ourselves and jockey for position in the, in, in the family of faith. Well, look at what I did this week. I read for one hour every day and you only read for 50 minutes. I'm better. So we should stop trying to kind of compare ourselves with ourselves and instead just try to be faithful every day because that's what we're called to do we're called to be faithful and let me say also life is always a mixture of success and failure we get a little bit of success and it gives us hope we get a little bit of failure or maybe a lot of failure and it teaches us humility and develop our trust in God I got a long introduction here I think you'll probably rec- you'll see that I recommend that you write out Romans 8.1, that you stick it where you can see it and that you repeat it to yourself every day. It is the foundation of all spiritual progress. It's easy to believe this for somebody else. So easy. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there can be no condemnation on, on, on Pastor Ryan because he's perfect. You got that right. 
everything but. Just ask my wife. She spent literally three weeks with me without any kids. And it was still like, you know, it's easy to blame the kids. When the kids aren't there, whoa. Just try driving in Italy on the Autostrada in a stick shift and a little Fiat and be as big as me and there not be tension. Hey, would you get over on your side? No, I'm just kidding. Totally teasing. Love you, babe. So listen, we, 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 we've, we've got to be very careful with this. It's easy to think, yes, this applies to a Mr. Dalton, one of the deacons of our church and a good godly man and love him and he's a dear friend. But it's hard sometimes for us to apply this to ourselves. Hard to believe that that this could really mean us, not condemned as a believer in Christ. So with that as a background, and really kind of my first point still background, let's consider what this verse really means. What do we discover when we move from the last part of Romans 7? And you're going to, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase 7, just for the sake of time this morning, to now the first part of Romans 8. First point, there is struggle in the Christian life. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. There is struggle in the Christian life. Some of you didn't say that. Some of you didn't repeat it. It wasn't loud enough. Now I won't treat you like a kindergarten class. But you know what that sentence right there summarizes? Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. That's what that sentence right there is a synopsis of. Do you remember what Paul said? I'm going to kind of just paraphrase some things. And Paul said, in my mind, I want to please God. In my mind, I want to do what he is asking me to do, but I tend to do the exact opposite. Ever been there? Over and over again, he says, that which I would do, I do not. Or that what I should do, I don't do. And that which I shouldn't do, I do. That's what Paul's referring to in Romans chapter number seven. And we all understand that, don't we? In the morning, we get up and we say, Lord, this is your day. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a servant for you today. I'm going to, I'm going to do your will today. God, I'm going to get up on this Monday, let's say Monday morning, and I'm going to, I'm going to obey you today. So we set out a goal to accomplish the will of God in our life, to, uh, to, to do the, the godly disciplines that we know, to refrain from, from certain things, thinking wrong, so on and so forth. And then we start to go through the day and we don't even do number one. We partially do number two. We nail number three and we start patting ourselves on the back and be like, man, I'm a good Christian. And then we kind of do four. We forget about five. We wake up in the morning, you know, maybe it's just like one of the first things we start to pray. And we say, Lord, Lord, help me. I don't want to lose my temper today. And by like 9 a.m., it's already gone. By 10.30, you're, you're saying, Lord, Lord, help me not to be divisive today. And by 10.30, man, you're already slicing and dicing relationships. You get up in the morning and you say, Lord, help me not to gossip this morning about somebody else. Help me not to say something about somebody else that I shouldn't, that I don't even know is fully true. And even if it is true, it's none of this person's business. Gossip, right? And then by lunch hour, blew that one too. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Lord, help me. 
The very thing that we said we were going to do, we don't do. The thing that we said we would never do, oh, I'll never do that. We do. I think some of us, based on our responses, and you know this is true about me, we've experienced that this week. Romans 7 is Paul's autobiography of part of his experience as a Christian believer. I do not agree with those who see Romans 7 simply as a non-Christian under conviction. I believe this is the struggle, Romans 7, of living under the Spirit and not under the Spirit. And guess what we do when we're not living under the Spirit? We sin. We struggle. We fall. We step off track. And so this is the struggle. I believe that Romans 7 is simply one stage or one part of the normal Christian experience. I do not believe Romans 7 is the total story of the Christian life. Hallelujah for that. But I also don't believe we should throw it out and just say, okay, this is lost, and now Romans 8 is me. Romans 8 is you, but I want to tell you that Romans 7 is too. It's the struggle, right, that we all face. So let's be honest. You could be an awesome Christian like the Apostle Paul was, and you at the same time can be in a deep season where you're, where, where you're not walking with the Lord like you should. Paul's just being honest. He's saying that even though he was an apostle, he felt a struggle between his desire to please God and then the pull to live by the flesh, which is non-spirit. That's what you see there in Romans 7. There's no spirit mentioned. You're, you're, you're struggling. So Romans 7 describes a struggle which is part of your walk with God. Now, thank God it's not the whole story. It's just part of the story. But I can, I can resonate with the Apostle Paul, who in verse number 24 of chapter 7 says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I understand that. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this, of this flesh? And oh, I love verse 25. The champion Jesus steps in. But the reality is, is there's this struggle. There's this pendulum swing. We struggle in many different ways. We struggle between what we know and what we actually do. We struggle between our better desires and our lesser desires. We struggle between what we know God wants us to do and what we would wish God would just leave us alone about because we're going to do what we want to do, right? We struggle with that. Dads, we struggle sometimes with doing what we want over our family needs. We struggle all the time, torn this way and that way. Are you encouraged yet? Just keep sticking with me, I promise. That's part of what it means to live in this sin-cursed world. It's part of what it means to, be, to still battle with the flesh. Yes, we have the Spirit, and we're praying that he's fully dominating us. Like when it says being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, it's literally like, like the current of a river that takes a, takes a leaf and is just dominating it down. There. We're praying for that, but often we'll give in to the flesh. It's a, it's a war. James tells us that. It's just the flesh and the spirit. They, they, they battle against one another and they battle contrary to one another, James tells us. So some people don't necessarily want to hear this. They wish that I would say that struggle shouldn't be a part of the Christian life. I can't do that. I wouldn't be true to Scripture if I said that once you get saved, once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the struggle's gone. That it's just going to be all great, just rosy, you know, just beautiful grassy fields from here on out. I wouldn't be true to scripture if I said that. 
And anyone who tells you that's the case, whether that's a, a podcast or a blog that you're reading or some kind of movie that kind of shows that, oh, everything's going to be great, that's anti-Bible. It's anti-reality of what the Christian life is like. I think Paul struggled, and I think we're going to struggle too. If Paul felt as if he was being pulled this way and that way, the same thing's going to happen to us. Romans 7 is not the full explanation for Paul's dynamic spiritual life. It's simply part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we like Romans 8. Of course we do. But the two really do go together. There is a struggle. There is a struggle. So please hear me. There is a struggle in the Christian life. Now, who added the chapters? Oh, we did. So if you were reading chapter 7 in the Greek, and we won't do that, and you were just to continue the thought, you'd come to verse 1 of chapter number 8, and that leads us to our second point. That struggle is without condemnation. It's without condemnation. So the struggle is real in the Christian life, and that struggle is without condemnation. Let's see it again. Romans 8.1 up on the screen. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, that verse should be understood really as the topic of everything that goes down all the way through verse 39 of chapter 8. Everything he says all the way down is simply a restatement over and over again of no condemnation to the end of the chapter. Now, it's interesting, if you just just allow me to just kind of geek out a little bit on the Greek here for a moment. I, I, I try not to do that a lot. It's interesting when you read this verse in Greek. Don't worry, I'm not going to put it up there. It's very interesting. See, when Paul wrote it, he he used a different word order. When the New Testament writers wanted to emphasize a particular word, they would often put the word first in the sentence. And that was kind of their way of saying, hey, this is, this is really, really, really important. I want you to notice this. I want you to pay attention to this. So in the Greek, when you read this, Romans 8.1 in the Greek, the first word is not there. The first word is not is. The first word is not therefore. The first word is not now. The first word is no. No. So the fifth word in our translation, and I understand why they wrote it, like it, it, it just flows, but the fifth word is the first word because Paul wants to emphasize in the strongest possible way that there is no condemnation. And that is why he took the word no and he moved it to the front. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now let me see if I can explain this verse as to what it doesn't mean. Normally I don't spend any time on that, on what it doesn't mean. I'm like, hey, you don't come here to learn about what the Bible doesn't mean. But I think if we'll see what it doesn't mean, it's going to give clarity to what it does mean here in a few minutes. 
He is not saying, hear me, hear me, hear me. He is not saying, listen so well. There is therefore now no cause for condemnation. See, that would not be true because you fail and I fail. You struggle and I struggle. You get off the path as well as Ryan getting off the path. Sometimes we're just, let's be honest, sometimes we're just barely making it. Sometimes there might be a season, uh, maybe it's longer for others, but sometimes it's maybe just a few hours in a day. Maybe it's a full day, maybe it's a full week, maybe it's a full month, maybe you've been in a bad season of a year. I'm not up here judging. The point is, is that we all can say, yep, you know, I, I, I go through those. There's just some times where, man, my faith is being completely rattled. Paul is not saying in this text that there is no cause for condemnation in us. Because if God were to actually look down from heaven and he were to observe you and observe me on a moment-to-moment basis, guess what? There would be a whole lot of cause for condemnation. So that's not what he's saying. Is Paul saying, there is therefore now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus. No. Is Paul saying there is therefore now no struggle for those that are in Christ Jesus? No. There is therefore now no stumbling for those who are in Christ Jesus? No. He is saying there is therefore now no condemnation, no coming into judgment, no penal servitude well because you did this now you got to do 10 good things he's saying there's no penal um, servitude for the follower of Jesus Christ allow the Holy Spirit of God to free you in the next 20 minutes so then what does it mean If if it doesn't mean that it means that we may stumble It means that we may fall, we may trip up, we may make a thousand mistakes, we may sin, and we do. We may get off the path, we may go astray, we may have a thousand problems, but for the believer, that's the key, the believer in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. How do I know? Because God said so. There's no condemnation. You can struggle but there's no condemnation. You can fall and trip, but there's no condemnation. You're not condemned. You can stray off the path, but you're not condemned because God said he's not gonna condemn those who are in Christ Jesus because he's already condemned Christ for you. He took it all. Does God hate sin? You better believe it. Does God, is like angry with the wicked every day, the psalmist says. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. So sin is repulsive to God. God is a holy, oh, we sang that last week, holy forever. He's still holy in 2023. In many ways, with how darker we get, the holier he looks. He hates it. And he looks down and he sees the the carnage and the wreckage of sin. But when he sees a Christian, he sees Christ who took it all. Christ condemned sin and death on the cross. So for the Christian, we no longer bear it. It's not yours. It's not yours to bear because Jesus Christ completely took it. 
When Jesus saved you, he did not say that he would take away all your problems. No, but he did say, in your problems, I took the condemnation. In your struggle, I took the condemnation. Mom, Mother's Day, a few weeks ago. Dads, today, we're not perfect, are we? Mary needed a savior. Remember we got to that point? Mary needed a savior. Us dads, we need a savior. We're not perfect. We struggle. So can I boil it down for you for this way? It means there is no rejection for the believer. God is not going to reject you because you struggle. Most of us know the lovely story of the prodigal son. Right? He was in his father's house. He went off to a far country. He took his inheritance, just, just lived riotously, the, the, the text says. Spent it all. Ultimately, he goes and lives in a pig pen. He had hit the very rock bottom. The son had nothing but to be able to look up. Left his family, squandered his inheritance, and now with the pigs. I like how J. Vernon McGee put it. What is the difference between a pig and a man in a pig pen? The pig just keeps on eating the husks. After a while, the man says, I will arise and go to my father. And where was the father? Ah, The father wasn't in the house when the son was returning home. He was out in the streets. He was out there looking for his son, implying every single day, longing for the son to come back. It's a picture of our experience as believers. There's no rejection for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, Ryan, I'm scared. I'm scared to turn back because you think that God's going to condemn you. Remember, God already knows what you've done and he knows what you are going to do. He knows what maybe you wanted to do and you didn't get to that point. God knows. And if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, Jesus Christ took the condemnation. So I encourage you to run to God. Yesterday, Ed, in our men's Bible study, we were talking about what a true biblical fear of the Lord is. To fear the Lord and to depart from evil was, was our text there in Proverbs. And how Sometimes when we view God as this angry father just waiting to condemn us because we sin, by the way, he's not your father unless you're saved. So I'm talking about a Christian realm here where we're like, where we're just, ah, I, I, you're never going to run to him. You're going to run from him. You're going to try to hide it from others because somehow we think hiding it from others is going to hide it from God who knows everything and sees everything. Run to him. Run to him. We okay? We're good? He loves you. So what do we do when we fail? What do we do? We repent. And by God's grace, our eyes are opened to see what we've done. We change our minds. We stop making excuses. We confess to God and to others. We remind ourselves of what we have in Christ. That's what the son did. The son was like, man, the hired servants live better than me. I'm going back. Go back. You're feeling condemned right now? No. Go back. Go back to the father. 
the son goes back and repents before the father. Acknowledge, God, I I didn't want to gossip about it. God, help me. And you run back. Let me say this. Christian growth. Put this up on the screen there, Nick. Thank you. Christian growth, in other words, does not happen first by behaving better, but believing better. Believing in bigger, deeper, brighter ways what Christ has already secured for sinners. I'm going to get to a Spurgeon quote here in a moment, but I just want to allude to something here. When we embrace and hear the radical nature of the grace of God and we fully understand what what came our way and what Christ had done for us, listen to me. True gospel grace will never lead you to sin. It leads you from sin. Knowing that there's no condemnation, What I'm preaching today, if this leads you to think, well, hey, you know, tomorrow I can go on whatever, I can just do whatever I want. That's not what I'm preaching. What I'm preaching is, is that in your life, you are going to go the wayward way, but there's no condemnation in that. So what that actually makes me want to do is to live in a fashion that's, that's worthy of this grace, worthy of this love that's beyond us. So yes, we want to behave better. I'm not saying that we don't behave better, but we need to start believing better first. God, I'm, I'm actually saved unto this, what you have done for me. It's hard for us to believe that God really loves us, especially when we take a good look in the mirror. Because most of us have moments when we look at ourselves and we say, man, there's plenty of condemnation for you, Buster. Why? Because you know everything you thought today. It's hard for us. But that's not what God says to the believer. Is there discipline? Yes. Is there correction? Yes. Does the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 talk about this? Yes. Can it be painful? You better believe it. But it's not punishment. It's not abusive. It's not harsh. Some Christians go through life with a heavy load of guilt, not just because they struggle with what they've done, but they also feel like they are condemned by God. Unbiblical guilt, unbiblical weight that we are carrying. So they feel like God hates them. No, he doesn't. Scripture tells us that his thoughts towards us are of love. That's how he thinks of you as a Christian, as a believer. Even when he has to discipline us, he does it for our own good. Even his chastening is for our ultimate benefit. Now, I've alluded to this all throughout the message, but how in the world is this possible? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Our sins, my friend, they get removed from us. And the righteousness of Christ gets applied to you and to me. And God the Father will never condemn the righteousness of Jesus. And that's your account. That's your record. Does that make you want to go sin this week? Ah, you don't fully understand it then. No. Makes you want to live a holy, godly life. Jesus condemned sin by his death. If he condemned sin by his death on the cross, and you receive that gift, God's never going to condemn you. The devil condemns us day and night. He constantly is whispering in our ear. We talk to ourselves so much. Condemned. 
I know what you did, condemned. You know what God says? In Christ, not condemned. The devil, condemned. You know, like the, 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 good, the good angel, the bad angel. You know what I'm talking about? Condemned, condemned. This is what you thought. And God says, not in Jesus. Not in Jesus. Is that your story? Are you in Jesus, dad? If you are, man, don't feel the condemnation of failure. Are we going to fail? Yes. There's no condemnation. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse has a statement in one of his sermons that's just beautiful on this, and it really ought to help us. Here's what he says. A soul that comes to the full realization that he ought to be in hell, but that in reality the Lord Jesus took his hell, and that there is therefore now, 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 no condemnation for him because he is in Christ Jesus, is likely to be quite moved by the truth. If the members of the human race are permitted to yell because their team won a football game, because their candidate won an election, because they have won $50 on a horse race, because their drilling has produced a gusher, he's old school, as you can tell, let us shout for joy because we are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation for us now, he says. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus as your savior? It's our reality. It's our reality. This is encouragement for the struggle. That's what I titled the sermon, for the struggle, because you're gonna continue to struggle. I can't think of a better way. I can't be think of a more encouraging spiritual truth that I could share with you on this Father's Day. Does it apply to dads? Absolutely, if you're in Christ. Does it apply to moms? Absolutely, if you're in Christ. Does it apply to just everybody in here? If you're in Christ, yes. This could be your story. Could be my story. If truly applied to all that are in Christ, man, it changes things. Charles Spurgeon, this is what I alluded to earlier. In Christ, no condemnation. He says this, you may preach the demands of the law as long as you like and tell men that they must merit salvation and you will only make them worse and worse. But go and proclaim a dying love of Jesus. Tell them that, that free grace reigns and that undeserved mercy saves the sinner through faith in Christ. And that the moment he believes in Jesus, there is no condemnation to him and you shall see miracles accomplished. Great love. Great love. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. And he credits you with all that is said about his son. So who is it that is not condemned? Those who are in Christ. When it comes to salvation, there are only two places you can be. You can be in Christ, meaning you've trusted Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, dying for your sins, you've, you, you've trusted him, you are in Christ, that's option number one, or option number two, you are without Christ. You're going at this bad boy alone. I'm gonna be good enough to somehow 
inherit eternal life, to inherit heaven. You're either outside of Christ or you are in Christ. And let me show you a verse. If you are outside of Christ, if you've never placed your faith and trust in what Christ did, his perfect life without sin, his death on the cross some 2,000 years ago, his resurrection from the dead. If we have never trusted that, you know what the Bible says? You're condemned already. John 3 verse 18 says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's Jesus. So if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Do we need to change? Yes. Do we need to grow? Yes. Do we need to repent? Yes. But there's no condemnation. Advance towards God. Don't run from him. But if we're outside of Christ, we're not in him, then we are condemned already, John tells us. So where are you right now? Are you outside of Christ? Are you lost and on your own? Or are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, my friend, we ought to be really, really, really happy. We ought to be like those people that are winning their, their, their football teams winning. Right? Niners this year, right? Yeah, maybe. Hopefully, we'll see. Jesus. That's what we're talking about. No condemnation. Dads, I love you enough to release you in our struggle because we struggle. Moms, I love you enough to release you in your struggle. Moms aren't perfect either. None of us are. And then if you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's simply acknowledging your sin before God and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's a card in front of you that says the good news. Take that. There'll be more information there. Or you can talk to me after service. Christian, in Christ, let's celebrate what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed.